Thank you for listening to the Celebration Church podcast. For more information about Celebration Church, go to ccacron.org. There you will find information about our church, upcoming events, and how to make a contribution to the ministry of Celebration Church. We hope this message is an encouragement to you. Thank you, Jesus. Luke 20, Luke 23. Hello. Wow, that was weird. We're in a series on the, on the seven sayings of Jesus. And uh, wow, taking a look at the, the cross in a whole new perspective. How many of you, God's been just kind of wrecking your world through this series? I know it's only been a couple weeks, but wow. I, uh, wow. <laughs> Taking a look at the cross again in a whole new light, a whole new perspective is, you know, we talk about, we talk about things like healing and salvation. We talk about things like the cross and the resurrection, and we, and we just get accustomed to it. It's what we do. We're Christians. And it's doctrines that we've heard again and again and again for some of us many years. But, but diving again afresh and anew in the scripture and, and digging around. I want to challenge you. Man, dig around in the doctrines of our faith. Dig around. Go digging in the moorings and the foundations of your faith. Don't just take what you hear on Sundays and leave and, and do nothing with it. Don't, don't just take my word for it. Go dig around on your own time. Go, go dig around in, in, in salvation by grace through faith alone. Go, go dig around in, in the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Go, go digging in, in, the, in the blessed hope. Go, go digging around in these fundamental doctrines. And I promise it'll change your world. You won't just be a Sunday-only Christian. You won't just be a a, a nominal Christian, but there will be a fire, like Jeremiah, there will be a fire shut up in your bones. Everywhere you go, there will be little little sparks, little flames of fire touching the people around you. I promise, yeah, I promise. If you'll dig around, does anybody hear me this morning? If you'll just go dig around. Go dig up the ancient wells. Stop listening to the modern garbage and go dig up the ancient wells. Can I say that again? Stop listening to all the modern garbage and go dig around in the ancient wells. They're tried and tested. They don't fail. <laughs> all the mar- modern stuff will fail you. But, but digging around, the, yeah, I, I'll, just, I'll just keep going. Get, dig around. Dig around in the ancient wells. And you'll find that that's, what, that's where God's camping out. You'll go find that Jesus is sitting by the ancient wells. Jesus is camping out, offering a, a free and living water to anybody who will drink. Yeah, he, he's offering. He's still sitting by the well today. He's still sitting like, the, like he did in Samaria. He's still sitting by the well of, of rivers that flow deep. And if you'll have a drink, Jesus said, out of your belly will flow rivers. Out of your inner being will flow rivers of living water. I don't know about you, but I want to I wanna drink that water. Ohio water ain't, not, ain't that good. But I want to I drink. I want to drink of living water. Louisiana water ain't that better either. I want to drink of living water. I want to drink of living water and have wells that are gushing. Gushing out of me. Amen? Luke 23. I love this. Man, I don't even know where to begin. This is, uh, this, today's message on the word of agony. Jesus and, Jesus and his agony on the cross. 
you know, when I, when I first started studying this and preparing for this message, you know, it, you, when you hear about agony, when you hear about torture and suffering, you know, most people think it's really hard to get excited about that unless you're some sort of sadist. It's really hard to get excited about torture and abuse. But, but when you begin to dive in to what Jesus was facing on the cross and the reality of what it means for me and what it means for you, there's a joy that wells up on the inside of me. There's, there's an excitement, there's an anticipation as I read these scriptures. Oh yeah, is my heart strangely warm, like Wesley said, is my, is my soul stirred within me? Yeah, absolutely, there's a, there's a sorrow and a sadness, but at the same time, I'm overwhelmed with joy and gladness and delight in God. Luke 23 and verse 33, it says, And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him, and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots, and the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he's the Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour, and the darkness was over all the earth until the ninth, and the sun was darkened, the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice, and he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And the whole crowd who came together that, and saw that sight, seeing what had been done, they beat their breast and returned. But all of his acquaintances and the woman who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. In, in Matthew, Matthew adds a, a little bit of additional detail here. In Matthew 27, verse 46, God, Jesus says this. He says, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's where I want to begin to zero in today and take a look at is this, this statement that Jesus made, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I want you to consider with me this morning the Father's love towards the Son. If you go back when Jesus was, was first conceived, there was an excitement in heaven. There was an announcement that came from the angels. They were singing their songs. The heavenly choir was singing. Gabriel came to Joseph and, and Mary and told them about Jesus' coming. There was the star, the wise men. You had Simeon the prophet, Anna the prophet. All of these people involved in the uh, announcement of the coming of Jesus. How many of you would say that, that God 
God the Father was excited about the birth of his son. He loved his son. At Jesus' baptism, the Father spoke from heaven. This is my beloved son and whom I'm well pleased. We see it again on the Mount of Transfiguration. The Father loved his son more than any other. We, we can't even begin to comprehend this love. Yeah, we taste of this love. We've been brought in to this love just as, uh, uh, you know, it's hard to understand and comprehend. It's like looking through a glass darkly, as Paul talked about. But this love, how immense, how vast, how eternal. The Father loved his son from eternity past. The Father loved him. There was this, this divine, heavenly romance, this dance between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit being the essence of this love, the Spirit of love who is now shedding abroad, pouring out, gushing out, Romans 5, 5, this love in our hearts. And there's this, this divine love, this romance, this, this dance from all eternity and here we find Jesus on the cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What, what separation must have there been for Jesus who was eternally loved by the Father to be able to say those words, why have you forsaken me? That word forsaken means totally abandoned, utterly forsaken. I want you to think about what Jesus said concerning the relationship with his father. In John 14, 11, he said, I am in the father and the father is in me. In John 5, 19, he said, the son can do nothing of himself, but only what he sees the father doing. Isaiah 49, God spoke, can a, can a mother forget her nursing child? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. In Proverbs 8, it talks about this heavenly relationship that I was brought up daily in his delight. And so we see this ongoing relationship between the father and the son. What sin what depravity must have been laid on Christ for the Father to turn his head and leave his only begotten Son? This relationship of delight, this relationship of love, this endless divine love. Jesus said, I, did, I do nothing without seeing my Father. This divine relationship came to a halt when the sin of the world, your sin, my sin, was laid on Christ at Calvary. That relationship, that communion came to an end. That fellowship came to an end. And Jesus cries out, God, why have you forsaken me? He had been led like a sheep to the slaughter and went quietly. He had a crown of thorns. His hands were nailed to a cross. His feet were nailed to a cross. He was mocked. He was ridiculed. He was despised. He bore our rejection and our shame. And yet he said nothing until the Father turned his back on him. He said nothing when they nailed his feet to the cross. He said nothing when, he, when they beat him within an inch of his life. He said nothing when they shoved the crown of thorns on him. They, he ignored the ridicules. He ignored the mocking. But when the father turned his back on his own son, my God, 
my God, why have you forsaken me? God had been a refuge time and time again for his people. We see throughout scripture that he was our strong tower. He is our refuge. He is our safety. He is our ever-present help in time of trouble. He was with Daniel in the lion's den. He was with the Israelites in the wilderness. He was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. He never left them. He never forsake them. But when the sin of the world was placed on Christ, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What sin, what depravity must have been put on Christ? Here in this statement, we see the awfulness of sin and the nature of its wages. The Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. What is death? You know, when we think about death, what is death? Is it, is it being laid motionless, lifeless in a grave? You know, that, that might be one form of death, but this isn't, this isn't the death that's being referenced here. This is a spiritual death. It is, it is separation from God. It's, it's the holiness of God. We see here at the cross when Christ cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We see here in the light of Calvary the depravity of the heart of man laid bare. We see the consequence of sin made plain. And we see the holiness of God for what it really is. We see the majestic holiness. We see his perfect justice. We see his matchless wrath. We see the abounding grace of God in this statement. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Romans tells us that sin entered the world through one man. And as a result of that sin, death entered the world. So what is this death? It is separation from God. It's separation from his presence. Can you imagine Adam after he fell living 930 years? What he must have seen and what the, uh, what the experience must have been. Here's a man that walked daily with God. The presence of the Lord filled the, filled the garden. But now he had been alienated from the garden. He was driven out from the presence of the Lord. He was no longer enjoying communion and fellowship. The, the spiritual death that took place. Adam experienced this. It was, this, was, this was foreshadowed. It was, it was given to us in, in the Israelites, in the wilderness. Here are the, here are the children of God, the people of God, roaming through the wilderness. And right in their midst is a tabernacle. Right in their midst is, is the dwelling place of God on earth. But they're not allowed to access it. There's only one man who can be, that can go into the Holy of Holies. It's a shadow, a foreshadowing. It's a type for you and I. That right in their midst, right in their presence, right in the middle of their camp was the presence of God. And they couldn't even access it. For you and I. If we are in spiritual darkness, it's the same way. We go through life doing our routine, living our lives, and the presence of God is right in our midst, and we don't even know it. We can't even access it. We're spiritually dead. We're unaware. We've been blinded by the God of this world. But we don't have a priest like Moses anymore. We don't have an earthly priest that, that's limited by earthly 
physical limitations. We have a heavenly high priest. The Bible says in Hebrews that God says, Behold, the days are coming when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with, and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them up by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they shall not have to teach everyone, his fellow citizen and brothers, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sin no more. Yeah, this is this is our high priest that that the the word of God, the revelation of his presence and our ability to access that presence has been made possible through this moment where God, where Jesus is on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Christ was separated from the presence of God. Christ was separated. He was carrying the weight of our sin, carrying the weight of our iniquities. You know, this gives us a shadow of the the future separation that comes. Yeah, in this life, those who are not born again, there's there's still the, the effects of the grace of God in this life. There's still the effects of the believers who are praying and worshiping and intercession. But there's coming a day where where that and those effects will lift and there is an ultimate, there's an ultimate, there's a final judgment where there will be final separation. There will be ultimate second death. In that statement, we were reminded of what is to come. Here we also see that God's work of justice towards sin. There's what what can you and I say that can describe the holiness of God? Isaiah said, "Woe is me, for I am undone." Abraham said, "I am but the dust of the ground." Isaiah, "Woe." Job said, "I abhor myself when he saw the Lord." Daniel said, "I have no strength left within me." What can you and I say that describes the holiness of God? Even the seraphim that fly around the throne have to veil their eyes. But here in this statement, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In Psalms 22, David prophesied this moment, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet we hear the echoes through the ages of time, but you are still holy, verse 3. You are still holy. You are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. Before the creation of the world, it was Ordained. It was determined beforehand by the counsel of God that this day would come. When God said, let us make man in our image, there was a plan of redemption put in place. And when God spoke the world into creation, he created a hill called Golgotha that was in the shape of a skull. It was in the predetermined foreknowledge of God that there was a place pre-made for the cross, where that cross would go into the earth, that place of the skull, that place called Golgotha, there Christ would hang and cry out these words, God, why have you forsaken me? 
The plagues were just a foreshadowing. The flood of Noah was just a foreshadowing. The fire and the brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah was just a taste. It was just a shadow as types of things to come. But the reality of the judgment and the fierceness of God's fury towards sin was laid upon Christ at the cross. Here in these words, we see the explanation of Gethsemane. In Matthew 26, it says Jesus came to the place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. And he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as your will, but as you will. Jesus in the garden, this place of Gethsemane, Gethsemane meaning the, the oil press, the olive press. He was in the place of pressing. He saw the storm rising. He saw what was coming. He knew what he would have to endure. And out of a place of agony, Luke uses the word in Greek, agonia. It means to be engaged with a battle for victory. He was in, engaged in battle for victory for you and I. And he uses these words, let this cup pass from me. It's a direct reference to communion that he just shared with his disciples. In other words, he says, if this cup should pass from me, I'll maintain communion with you. Main, maintain communion with you, my Father. I don't want to lose this fellowship. If you let this cup pass, I'll still have fellowship with you, Father. But should our communion pass, should our fellowship end, we'll have fellowship together with them all. He knew what was coming. And he willingly laid down his life. He willingly endured the cross. He willingly gave up fellowship with his father so that you and I could be brought into this heavenly fellowship. Oh, I don't think we understand fully the gravity of this. That God willingly gave up his son and his son willingly gave up his life so that you and I could have eternal fellowship with them. And yet, how easily, oh yeah, how easily we are distracted by our sin and our cares of this life, and how willingly and easily we give up our fellowship with God when it costs Christ everything. That fellowship came at a steep price. It cost Christ everything. It cost Him His fellowship with His Father. This fellowship, this relationship that had never ended, but had always been. This fellowship, this communion that had never been affected, but had always existed on that cross that day came to an end. My God, my God. And he did it willingly so that you and I could be brought into fellowship. In this, we see Christ's unwavering faithfulness to God. His unwavering faithfulness. He was despised. He was rejected. He was forsaken. He was beaten. His, his body was shredded. He could feel no presence. You know, we, we get 
distracted when we can't feel his presence. Or life gets hard. Well, I just don't think I can do this. We get easily enamored by life's toys and distracted. Jesus had no feeling. You want to know what Jesus felt? His body was shredded to pieces. He had nails in his hands and nails in his feet and a crown of thorns, thorns sticking into his head. You want to know what he felt? He felt extreme pain. He felt it. His body was mutilated. He heard the rejection of others. There was no divine presence. There was no divine power. God had forsaken him. And yet, he maintained faithful to the word of God. All he had to go on was the word of his father. All he had to go on was the promise of his father from ages, eternity past. When the father said to the son, I promise that if you will go and become their sacrifice, that I will pour out my spirit on them. They will receive this promise. They will be partakers of this promise. The promise of the Father. They can be in fellowship with you and I. That's the word he went on. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. Why? Because he had a promise from the Father, and he stood on the word of God. You and I can stand on the word of God. What he has spoken, he's faithful to accomplish. You may not feel it. You may not see it happening. You may feel like God has absolutely forsaken you today. But you can stand on the word of God. He's not like man that he is slack concerning his promise. He's not like man that he will give up or turn, throw in the towel with his promise. When he speaks, he accomplishes everything he said he will do. You can stand on his word. Jesus hung on the cross, hanging on the word of God. Jesus went to the cross and hung on that cross, hanging not by nails of men, hanging not by, by the plans of man, but hanging because of God's word. The word of his father, the promise of God. Yeah, you don't have to be double-minded today. You don't have to be shifty in your thoughts. You don't have to be caught up by every wind of doctrine or every circumstance of life. You don't have to give your life over to Facebook and social media. God help you. But you can stand on the word of God. Social media doesn't run my life, friend. Whether somebody likes me or dislikes me, leaves the church or comes on, I mean, good grief. Let's get over it already. My life is hung at the end of the day. I can take my coat off and put it on the Word of God and know that He is going to sustain me. He's going to keep me. It's not my plans. It's His. It's not my life. It's His. I am here breathing because of the Word of the Lord. And that settles it. Whether you believe it or not, that settles it. In this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We see the foundation of our redemption. Christ became our sacrifice. He became our propitiation. 
He became our sacrifice. So that's what that means. He took the full weight. He took the full wrath. It wasn't just a type or shadow or a portion. He took the fullness of his fullness. Of his fullness, we've received grace for grace. He took the fullness of the wrath of God towards sin so that you and I can receive grace for grace from glory to glory from one place of transformation to the next. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. He's my sacrifice. He is my sacrifice. He is my sacrifice. He's on that cross, and I am crucified with him. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift, the gift, everybody say the gift. The gift of God is eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life. I deserve death. But he gave me Christ. I deserve punishment. But he gave me life. I deserve. Yeah, I'm guilty. I'm absolutely guilty. He who says he has no sin is a liar and there's no truth in him. You're a fool to say that you're sinless. I am a sinner in need of the mercy of God. And he gave me Christ. This is the foundation of our redemption. That while I was a sinner, while I was an enemy, Christ died for me. And in this, we see the evidence of Christ's love for us. In this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Oh, the proof of his undying love. Willing, willing to lay down his life, but more than that. But more than that, willing to give up this fellowship, willing to give up this communion with the Father, this love, this fellowship that had never been tainted, that had never been, even, even in Adam's sin, had, was not affected, and the flood of Noah had not been affected. Through the kings and the chronicles and judges, never affected. The love of the father was never affected by Daniel and the lion's den. The love of the father was towards his son was, was never affected. Through the prophecies of, uh, of the Old Testament, the, the love of the father was, was never affected between the Old Testament and the New Testament and the, and the time and the period of science, the father still loved his son, even though it was a time of religious darkness, spiritual dark. The father still loved his son. The father loved his son when Jesus was born. He was a proud daddy, and he let everybody know it. The father loved his son when Jesus operated in miracles. He, he loved his son and displayed his glory through, through his son in this life. Even as a boy, the father loved his son and the son loved his father. We see where, where do we find Jesus as a child loving his daddy in the temple, loving the word of his father. Never affected, never tainted. Until on the cross. What love 
the father must have had. What confidence he must have had in his own word. What love he must have had for him, his own self. To be able to turn in that moment when his son's hanging on the cross and say, I am able to bring him through this. But he has to go through this. I am able to bring him through. I love, remember God won't break his own commandment. Love the Lord your God first. He won't break it. I love and I'm confident in my own self that I can bring him through, but I have to turn my back. There has to be a moment of rejection so that my plan can be fulfilled. What love of God. Oh, the love of God. How rich and pure. How measureless and strong. It shall for the ages endure. Even if I had a pen, an eternity of ink, and the heavens were a scroll, I couldn't even begin to describe the love of God. How great, how great is the love of God. And here we see this wonderful display of the love of God towards you and I. John 15, 13 says, No greater love than a man lay down his life for his friends. More than his life, he gave up his fellowship. And to you and I, that was greater than the breath in his lungs. You see, we look, we look at a man laying down his life as a, as a physical death. Again, we're limited by earthly mentality. Jesus wasn't concerned about whether or not he was breathing oxygen or living in this life. He was eternal, and he knew this, this life was temporary. For you and I, we know this life is temporary. There's coming a day where we'll step into eternity. Laying down, laying down our life in this life is nothing. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. For us to lay down our lives for a friend is, in that situation is nothing. In, in Jesus, that was, that was it. Hello. That was nothing. It wasn't about the laying down of his natural life. Jesus said these words, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. It wasn't a physical life. It was a spiritual life. It was the Zoe, the God kind of life. God's come so that you and I can have life through him. The life that Jesus laid down was this life, that communion life, that fellowship with God. In that moment that he gave up that fellowship, that's when life really ended because it was that life that sustained him. You see, it's oxygen is one thing and our natural bodies is one thing, but, but, but like David, God, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. You can have it all, God. But please don't take your spirit. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. I can't live without you. I can't live in this life without you. I can't go on breathing without you. God, I have to have you. 
Jesus was the same way. Father, I have to have you. Don't take your presence from me. You can have it all. You can have the ministry. You can have it all. You can have the glory. You can have the mansions. You can have it all. It means nothing. But, Father, don't take your presence from me. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The life that was laid down was, yeah, in a physical sense, but more than that, it was this fellowship with God that sustained him. And he gave it up for you and I. Lastly, here in this statement, we hear the echoes of judgment to come. Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. Matthew 7.23, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew. How's that fellowship with God going? Do you know him? Does he know you? There's coming a day where, where there will be countless that hear those words, depart from me. I never knew you. Fellowship in this life is preparation for the fellowship in the next. If you can't enjoy God in this life, you'll never find your delight in the next. If you can't find your joy in God in this life, there certainly will be no joy for you in the next. Depart from me. Where can I go from your presence? I hear David ringing in this song. Oh yeah. Even in the place of judgment, you won't know him in his joy. You won't know him in his mercy. You won't know him in his goodness. You won't know him in his, his mercies that are new and fresh every morning this day. In that place of judgment, you will know him in the fierceness and the fury of his wrath towards sin. Oh yeah, you'll know him. One way or the other, you'll know him. Like Christ on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew the absence of the presence of holy God. And he knew the judgment that was laid upon him. And in that judgment to come, without Christ, as the Lord of your life, you will know the fierceness of that wrath for eternity. Yeah, this is it. This, this isn't just, uh, you know, win friends and influence people message. This is, this is reality, friends. Just as Christ experienced the absence of the presence of God, or shall we say the understanding of the lack of his love, he understood the fierceness of his wrath and fury against sin. And those without Christ in eternity will experience that undyingly. It doesn't end. We hear the echoes. Friends, for you and I who are born again, that ought to be the great motivator. It ought to be the great wake-up call for you and I to say, I have received something that is costly, that is precious. Not only do I have the redemption of this in this life, 
But I have given, I've been given the promise of the Father. I have stepped into this heavenly contract. I have stepped in. I've been empowered. I've been emboldened. I have the, the work of God, the love of God, and the grace of God, the mercy of God. I have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. I have all of these blessings operating in my life. I ought to engage with what God's given me. If you find yourself today sitting in the pew while Christ is hanging on the cross, if you find yourself sitting back in apathy and passivity and double-mindedness and shiftedness and worry and concern over this life, then might this message today be an urgent wake-up call to engage with the realities of things to come. If you were to go spend all of your money and waste it, would you not expect to encounter debt and brokenness and hurt and failure and all of those things? We all know that those are the consequences of that lifestyle then how much more should we expect to not have the blood removed off of our hands if we don't open our mouths knowing that judgment is coming? And this is what Christ paid for. May it be an urgency in our spirit that wherever we go and whatever we do, that we have the reality of the cross and the reality of the resurrection in our sight. That there's coming a day. The Bible says in the last days that there will be scoffers People who mock the coming of Christ, that mock the reality of things to come. We see it, that spirit of Antichrist, that, that mocking in our world today. Talking to Jesus is mental illness, apparently. I checked out a long time ago. Somebody needs to give me some medicine. There's a reality of things to come in my heart. There's a reality of things to come. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For you and I who are born again, for those of us that know this wonderful love of God, we can, like Job, say, I know my Redeemer lives, and on that day I shall stand with him. I know that he lives. I know that he went through all that he, he went through, the death, the resurrection, for my benefit. I I am the benefactor of this great love. I am the benefactor of this great mercy. I am the benefactor that he had that moment of, of, of communion that was broken. I am now in fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. I, I've got all three of them. I've got, all, I've got the full Godhead available to me, and I can step in. And I know, I know, oh, I know my Redeemer lives I know that he lives. How do I know that he lives? Like the song says, he lives in my heart. I know. I know that he lives because I have fellowship with him. I know that he lives because I have communion with him. I have been brought in to fellowship with the Lord. Amen. Thank you for joining the Celebration Podcast. For more information, visit ccacron.org or call us at 330-762-7458.
You can also download the Celebration app from iTunes or the Android store. With my father, it's so hard.